Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. I want to talk to you today about difficult people. And... uh, so just real quick, raise your hand if you're a difficult person here today. <laughs> Brian's hand was the first one to go up, so <laughs> way to be honest, Brian. And some of you were honest. I think we can all be difficult in a, in a way at times, but, uh, but whether you're difficult or not, you're going to have to deal with people that are difficult. Uh, we're all going to have that. So I'm going to read from Psalms 54, verses 1 through 7. And it says, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your faithfulness. Willingly I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all trouble, and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence in this place, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. I just ask that your people would be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. So difficult people, we're all going to have to deal with difficult people from time to time, and sometimes it feels like all the time. Um, and anytime I uh, think on this subject, it reminds me of someone that I dealt with. Uh, it's been probably at least 15 years ago. But uh, when I was doing exterminating work, um, I had to go check a house for termites first thing in the morning, and it was for a rental company. The guy didn't even own the house, he was just a tenant at the house. And so I scheduled, we scheduled with him and I get there and uh, the guy was nice, but uh, he had, the driveway was packed with cars, so I couldn't walk through the driveway. He hadn't cut his grass in several weeks, so his grass was about this high. And it was like that weed grass that when you walk through it, uh, like a hay field or something, it looks like almost like you're covered in fleas when you walk through it because it's got all those little black things that get on your legs and stuff. And so I can't, I've got to walk right through the grass to get to the house and it's wet because it's first thing in the morning and I get there, he doesn't have a mat at the front door. And so uh, he opens the door, he doesn't have a mat on the inside of the front door. And I don't, I do not want to take my shoes off because I've never been to this house before and uh, more, more than one occasion I have had to take my shoes off or had to get on my knees in someone's house only to find out they don't let their animals go to the outside as often as they should. So I don't want that to happen again, even though he ended up not having any animals, but I didn't know that. And uh, 
Yeah, it's not fun when you kneel down to check. Uh, wait, could you check that out over there for me? And you kneel down and your knee gets wet. That's not fun. But I, so I, 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 I'm beating my feet on the uh, concrete as best I can. And I go in. He doesn't ask me to take my shoes off. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. So he walks around with me all throughout the house because it was on a slab house. So I had to go through all the rooms. And he's just as nice as he can be. And I get there and I said, hey, I... I'm going to go get an uh, invoice for you real quick. Everything's done. If you'll just sign this, sign it for me, I'll get it to the rental company. So I go to the truck, come back. He signs it, and he says, now, who do, who do I need to call? I said, oh, you don't need to call anybody. This is all handled by the rental company. Uh, you're done. I'm just going to send this in. He said, no, who do I need to call about my carpets? I said, what do you mean about your carpets? He said, well, you've, you've tracked uh, grass and dirt on my carpets. And I'm like... <laughs> I, I thought he was joking. For I said, are you, are you serious? He said, yeah, I, I need to get these carpets cleaned. Who am I supposed to call about this? And I said, well, sir, I look, and there's just a few pieces of grass. And so I said, sir, look, I apologize, um, you know, but the grass is wet. I had to come through the yard. And, he, and I said, Do you ha where's your vacuum cleaner? I'll clean it up for you. I'm sorry. I'll vacuum it right fast. He said, oh, I don't own a vacuum cleaner. I said, you don't own a vacuum cleaner? He said, no, and he said, I, I rent a shampooer from, uh, I can't remember what grocery store he said, every month, and I shampoo my carpets. So who do I need to call to help me get these carpets clean for what you've done? And so now, I'm about to lose it. And so, uh, and see, here's the thing about that he was never mean. He was talking in a normal voice the whole time. He was just as nice as he could be. He was being difficult. But sometimes when someone's being difficult, we automatically jump to conclusions and we label them all kinds of ways. I was labeling, I'd already labeled him as crazy all right off the bat. I'd labeled him as a jerk. I'd labeled him as, I mean, a lot of things. And so, you know, dealing with him just being difficult was one way, but dealing with this jerk crazy man who was trying to get money from me was totally different how I'm going to handle him. And so I just told him, I said, well, where's a broom at? You got, I said, you don't own a vacuum cleaner. Do you own a broom and dustpan anywhere in this house? I said, because I can get that up with a broom. And uh, he said, no, I need to get these carpets cleaned. And so I told him again, I said, look, well, maybe you need to cut your grass and not have the driveway full of cars. And if you'd buy a mat and put it at the front door, I could have wiped my feet. And uh, he said, well, uh, who do I need to call? So I said, I said, well, if you want to call the office, call them. I don't care who you call. I'm not cleaning your carpets. And so I left, and I called my dad because my dad was who he was going to answer the phone when he called. <laughs> and I said, Dad, there's a crazy man about to call you. And I told him what happened, and I said, whatever you do, don't give him any money. He's crazy. He, he's, I just told him all the labels I'd put on this guy. And uh, Dad said, well, the other line's ringing. It's probably him. Let me, let me go. I'll take care of it. Well, whatever you do, don't give him any money, Dad. So Dad answers the phone, and he handles him the right way. I handled everything wrong because I immediately jumped to conclusions and labeled this guy instead of realizing he was just difficult. And so he starts with Dad and tells him that I've gotten stuff on his carpet, and he, he rents a shampooer once a month. He goes through the whole thing. And he says, I think y'all should have to help me clean these carpets because of what he did. And so instead of jumping to conclusions and telling the man off like I wanted to, and somewhat I did, 
Dad says, well, well, what exactly do you want? He said, well, I don't know. He said, well, what do you think it's worth what he did? Do you know how much the shampooer is? What do, you, what do you need from us? And the guy said, well, I think $5 is fair. And my dad said, excuse me? He said, I think, he said it cost me, you know, he's talking it through. It cost me this much to rent it, and he got grass at the front door and all that. I think $5 would be fair. And so dad said, uh, we'll, be, we'll be mailing you out $5 this afternoon. I'm going to send it in right now. The check is on the way. And uh, so dad calls me, and I said, you didn't give him any money, did you? He said, yeah. Dad, I told you, this guy, he's all these things. He said, he only wanted $5. I said, $5? I gave him $5 while I was there at his house. He never mentioned that to me. But see, I never gave him a chance. I immediately jumped into the same mode a lot of y'all jump into when someone's being difficult and was ready to stand up for myself because I was being falsely accused. But all it was was $5 to make this guy happy. And I had to check that house for several years. I don't know how long he rented that house. He was never mean to me. He was always nice. The next year I took my shoes off even though he still hadn't bought a rug. I knew he didn't have pets, so I took my shoes off the next year, but he was always kind. He referred customers to us. I started going to people's houses, and I would say, well, how did you hear about us? Oh, Mr., and they would, they would say his name, Mr. So-and-so said, said, what a great company y'all are. And I told Dad, I said, that's the best $5 of advertising we've ever done. But the thing of it was, is he was, well, I don't know. It's been 15 years, and I'm still talking about this guy, so I guess I haven't completely gotten over it. But at the same time, he was just difficult. But I had labeled him all these other ways, and really it didn't matter if he would have been mean to me. If he would have been using profanity or raising his voice or whatever, it wouldn't have changed the way that I reacted was wrong. I didn't react the right way to a difficult person, and it caused me a whole lot of grief that I didn't have to go through. Because the truth is, is that people are crazy, <laughs> and they can be difficult. And it's going to happen a lot. And so that's what I'm going to talk to you about today from this Psalm 54. And this is David talking about the issues he's having with people problems. David had a lot of issues with people. And in this, we find some instruction and some insight for all of us dealing with these difficult situations and difficult people that we're going to, we're going to come against. According to 1 Samuel 23, uh, David is being chased by King Saul, all right? And uh, this manhunt has kind of, it's forced uh, David to take refuge in a, in a desolate location. And so uh, he's fearing for his life, and he's desperate to find any place of safety that he can find. And so he thinks he's found a place within the uh, Ziphite territory, and this is supposed to be a place of neutral ground. This is supposed to be neutral people, okay? But unfortunately, the Ziphites, they turn against him, and they reported to uh, Saul his location. And so the chase continued. And so he, he fled to the wilderness, and now he finds himself uh, surrounded by Saul and the Ziphite soldiers. They've joined in in this thing. And so just picture David and what he's going through in this difficult situation. He's, he's dirty, he's tired, 
uh, he's hungry, he's thirsty, and he's discouraged. I'm not going to read it yet, Brian. I'm going to read the other one again first. There you go. Thank you. He's got all this stuff going on, and you know he could very easily do the wrong thing. You know, all of us, we probably in here, I don't even want to know how many times I did the wrong thing in a situation. Not that I did something sinful, but I did the wrong thing. Just look at how many times we give David a hard time for those few times that he did the wrong thing. You know, we always want to bring up his faults, but look at how many times he could have done the wrong thing, and he didn't. And so now he's beginning to pour out his feelings that we read about here in Psalms 54, and in, in this, you can notice in the first three verses are a prayer with emphasis uh, on his enemy. So reading verses 1 through 3 again, he says, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. So here in verse 1 and 2, um, they actually appear differently in the Hebrew Bible than they do in the English translations. And I'm going to go ahead and say, at least that's what I'm told, because I don't read Hebrew. Maybe you do. But I'm told that it appears differently in the Hebrew, which is a, a little strange, because in the Hebrew it says, Oh God, save me. Oh God, hear my prayer. Now, I don't know why we switched it up in the English, because what normally happens in the Hebrew is it happens the way that we just read it in the English. Usually in the Hebrew, the verb comes first. But for some reason in this one, David is crying out to God first for help. He's crying out, oh God, save me. Oh God, hear my prayer. And so by this, David is emphasizing his dependence upon the Lord. He knows that uh, without God, he's not going to make it. And so in this, we get our first example of what we should follow uh, when we find ourselves under attack or being just stressed out by a difficult person, and that's pray first. Call on God first. Don't wait. Ask for strength. Ask for stability. I did absolutely none of those things uh, that, day, that morning at that guy's house. And if we're being honest, most of, us, most of us are the same way. We probably, when we get with a difficult person, we get in a difficult situation, we pray last because we're having to repent about the wrong things, we, the way we handled it. God, I'm sorry that I did this and that, but could you please help me in this situation that I should have asked for help for uh, in, the, in the first place? Because our first instinct is usually to fight back. And so we do this by either retaliating or developing resentment toward that person who's making our lives miserable. And so we can learn from David. David requests deliverance and vindication on the basis of two things, God's name and God's power. See, many times when we are attacked by people, our imagination just goes wild and starts to stretch the truth. And when this happens, we begin to think that, you know, maybe you're even thinking that your enemies have unlimited power or that it's, this is never going to end or I'm never going to get over this or I'm never going to rebound from this. But just look at David. David found comfort in the reminder that God is more powerful than any person or anything in the whole entire universe. There's no one above God. And so then in verse 3, he gives names to his enemies. He gives them two descriptive names. He says, For strangers have risen against me, and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. 
And so the two na names here are strangers and violent men. So the first name we probably can figure out are about the people that are living in the region of Ziph, the Ziphites. And these people were, they were of unknown origin. And the term strangers comes from a Hebrew word that means to scatter or to disperse. And so it's characterizing them as random people known only by their current place of residence. And so here's David. He's trying to figure all this out. Why would these strangers, why would they be taking sides in a personal battle that he has with Saul that doesn't involve them at all? Why would these people who are supposed to be neutral become spies against him and turn against him? And many of us can probably relate to this. Maybe we've been in a situation, maybe we were innocent like David in that situation, but for some reason we somehow end up being turned against or sold out by people who have no reason or should have no motive to even, they shouldn't even be involved, they shouldn't even care, but for some reason they just get in on the gossip or they get in on the situation and, 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 and turn against you. You've probably all had that happen. I've had it happen a lot of times. But see, it's, it's a scary experience to be falsely accused. And everyone in here knows what it feels like. But it's really scary if those accusations, uh, when they come from, from strangers that you don't even know. Because you start getting paranoid. You start wondering, does the whole, has the whole world turned against me? Has this person that I've had it out with, how many friends do these people have? They've told everybody how bad I am. This is all just a misunderstanding and I can't even plead my case. Maybe you're staying up at night thinking about it like I have before. But sometimes what's even worse than that is when the enemy is someone that you once trusted as a friend or maybe even loved. The name violent men here refers to Saul and his troops. Saul, the one that David once served, both as a musician and as a soldier, and now they're trying to kill him. Men that David knew, possibly even trained, and they're trying to kill him. And after David gives them two descriptive names, he then says that his enemies did not have God set before them. And so with this statement, David is taking comfort not only in the futility of their attacks, but also in the realization that they oppose God in what they're doing. What they're doing, God has nothing to do with. See, it's hard to take personally the attacks of someone who opposes God. So when you're being attacked and you're treated wrongly, just consider the source. God's not happy with it. They have not set the Lord before them. He does not condone their actions, even if they're good people. I'm not even saying that it's always a bad person that attacks you, because sometimes it's not. See, David could have could have written line after line about his enemies. He could, have, he could have went on and on and on about how bad the situation was, but he didn't. Instead, he quickly turns his eyes and his focus to his divine, divine defender and God. Verse 4 and 5 says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes and destroy them in your faithfulness. The Hebrew word here for helper means more of like a, a rescuer. It, it, it's someone who provides uh, indispensable help, and if that help were not given, then the person would be hopelessly doomed, which is how we all are when it comes to God. Then he calls God his sustainer because he knows that without God, he cannot stand. And then in verse 5, David proclaims that God will handle his enemies. See, with this verse, David maintains his integrity because 
The Lord has promised to carry out justice on David's behalf. David can now concentrate on doing what's right instead of plotting revenge. Now, uh, I've talked a lot over the past few months about doing the right thing, even the small things, even the little things, and being someone that focuses on doing the right thing. I don't even want to know how much time I've wasted in life plotting revenge when I should have just been doing the right thing. And I'm sure you've all been there as well. It'll consume every thought in your being uh, if you allow it to. See, it's, it, just like with David, we can concentrate on doing the right thing and not plotting revenge. It's the same way when we're under attack. We can maintain our integrity. We can maintain our honor. We can maintain our character by leaving it in God's hands. The evil that has been planned against us will not be successful because of our defender. He's the defender of every one of us in here, and those attackers will be held accountable to him. God wants to fight for us, but it's up to us to allow him. It's up to us to allow him to do it. And so as we get closer to the end of this psalm, David has turned from bitter resentment to now resting in God's faithfulness. He's named his enemies, he's acknowledged their sins, and he's surrendered his right to justice and placed it all in God's hands. And so because of this, David now has peace, and he's found the peace in letting God be God. We would all be a lot better off if we would just do that. It's not easy trying to be God, and we, we all try to do it from time to time, but if we'll just let God be God, everything will work itself out. In verse 6, he writes, Willingly I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. See, with this verse, we see that David's in complete surrender to God. It's a good place to be. He's not living in denial. He's not trying to fake good feelings about his enemies. He's not trying to act like they've all of a sudden become best friends. And he's not trying to make excuses for what they've done and their sinfulness, but he's also not trying to retaliate. He chooses to focus on God's faithfulness instead of allowing his mind to be consumed with the wrongdoing of others. Have you ever been consumed with the wrongdoing of others? <laughs> so I was talking to someone on the phone, a pastor. Actually, it was Pastor Gore. So that, that, that I, this has been years ago, but someone had really upset me. And... I even made this statement, and, that, and you know what? He didn't even get on to me. He just let me go with it and figure it out on my own. But I was on the phone, and, man, I was just letting it go. And I told him, I was like, uh, because, you know, it's easy when nobody has offended you to tell other people how to let it go. Oh, man, you just got to let go and forgive. Hey, you just got to let that, you just got to put it in God's hands. You know, so this is not that message. It kind of sounds like that message, but it's not. Because, so I told him, I can't remember how, I can remember the phrase, but I can't remember how I started it because I was talking about getting tired of people telling me to let it go. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, you know, they say, I think I said something about how they say vengeance is the Lord's. And I made this statement, I said, I ain't after vengeance. I'm after vindication. I want them to know right now. And I just went in this little tirade about the difference between vengeance and vindication, which was all completely false. But it sounded good at the time, and he let me go with it, so I, I did. But we all make, we might not make the statement 
we might not be crazy enough to make the statement out loud to another preacher like I did, but we make those kind of statements in our mind. We justify how we feel. We justify not forgiving. We justify not letting God be God because sometimes we just feel like he needs a little help, that maybe he didn't see exactly the way things happened. And we need to remind him of how horrible that person was, was to us. But, but David didn't do any of that. He focused on God's faithfulness. And I, just ha I have to admit that during that time when I was upset with that individual, I wasn't focused on God's faithfulness. I was, I was focused on wanting my vindication because I didn't like what had been said about me. And I didn't feel like it was true. I didn't feel like I'd been represented the right way. And I felt like somebody needed to stand up and that person was me. <laughs> but I was wrong. And luckily, that's as far as it went was that phone call. And I, I don't think Brother Gore told on me to anybody. Because I could have made a real big fool of myself. And uh, maybe it was good that no one at the church knew what I was talking, would have known what I was talking about. So I never used it. Have you ever seen people, they use it in a sermon and it just gets real muddy when they do that? But here's David. Just look at what they're actually trying to kill him. And he keeps doing the right thing. See, he's not just sitting there. Oh, here's a good one, too. We, we do this one. God, I'm putting it in your hands, Lord. I'm just letting it go. You've prayed that prayer. I'm just letting it go. And then we sit around just imagining what God's justice is going to look like when he finally gets them. <laughs> Man, God, I'm putting it in your hands, but when you get a hold of them, I know it's going to be so sweet. I know you're going to... You, he's not doing that. He's not sitting around imagining what the justice is going to look like when God brings it down on them. See, what David did do was that he devoted himself to worship. Most of the time when we're going through a situation, even anywhere close to what David is going through, the first thing that we lose is our worship because we're just so worried about everything. And so because of this, he's able to say, it is good, referring to God's name. David still had trouble. They're still after him. They still want to kill him. They've not turned away yet. But he was still able to declare the name and the works of God to be good. And so then the final verse of Psalm 54 is completely different from verse 1. David says, He has delivered me from all trouble, and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. Now, I think our definition of what it would be like to look with satisfaction upon our enemies is probably not accurate. It's probably uh, it goes back to that imagining what God's justice is going to look like instead of just realizing that God's God's got you. He's going to take care of things. So according to 1 Samuel 23, you can put it up there now, Brian. Verse 26, we read that God intervened to protect David from his enemies in this situation where he's writing the psalm. It says, Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore they called the place the Rock of Escape. So what we see here is that at some time, we don't know when, maybe it was even as soon as David was declaring that I give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it's good. That would be a pretty good 
pretty good thought to have that maybe that's when this happened. But at some point, the enemy had to turn around and they had to head back home. They had to drop the whole thing. And so David's threat of danger was gone. And see, in the second part of verse 7, David says, that my eye could look upon my enemies with satisfaction. These words show that David had no bitterness. He's looking at them with satisfaction, and he hasn't seen the punishment rain down on them yet. See, a lot of times when we can't, when we have to continually imagine when they get theirs, you know what I'm talking about? That's still holding on to bitterness. And so David could say this because he had let go of all that. He now could look his enemy straight in the eye without resentment because he had released them to God and God had dealt with them in his own perfect way. I'm sure that's not the way David saw his rescue happening. He was probably wanting to see something a little more like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what I'd have wanted to see. I'd have wanted to see fire falling from the sky on them and everything else. But it didn't matter. It was God's perfect way. So yes, people can be difficult. They can be ugly. And they can be downright nasty and mean at times. But let's get rid of negative feelings. Let's get rid of resentment. Let's get rid of competitiveness and revenge and bitterness and retaliation and criticism and hatred. First, let's be honest that it's there when somebody does us wrong. And then let's get rid of it. Because we've been on that road for way too long. Some people have been on that road for years. And it's time for us to allow God to reroute us and take us on the road of love, His perfect love. See, so when it comes to difficult people, I know that what they did was wrong. What they did to me was wrong. What I did to a few of them was wrong in retaliation. <laughs> I know it was mean. I know that it hurt. But many times the answer to our people problem is spirit-empowered, undeserved love. No, they don't deserve it, but neither do we. It's basically living grace. See, God has shown grace to us, and so we should show it to each other. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, the greatest example of grace that there is. And see, when we have Him as our focus, it's amazing just how powerful love can be, even with difficult people. We talk a lot about uh, showing grace to people. Has anyone, do you ever use that phrase or heard that phrase used? Well, you just have to show them grace. You have to show them grace. And so uh, <clears throat> I've used this illustration before, but sometimes we don't have a real good picture of what grace is. And uh, when we're saying well, you have to show them grace, what we really mean is mercy because we don't know the difference between the two. And because uh, sometimes we're okay with showing mercy, that's a little easier, actually, than grace. So mercy, the best way to describe it or the best way for me to picture it in my mind is getting a speeding ticket. If I'm speeding down the road, maybe I'm going 20 over, and a police officer pulls me over, and he talks to me for a few minutes, and he says, you know what? Today's your lucky day, Mr. Wilson. I'm not going to write you a ticket. That's mercy. Mercy because I deserve to get a ticket, but I didn't. So mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace would be when he says, you know what, I'm not going to write you a ticket, and I want to buy your lunch. Here's $100. I like an expensive lunch, apparently, in this illustration. But he gives me $100. So now not only did I not get what I deserve, which is mercy, 
I just received something I don't deserve, which is grace. And it's not that big of a difference, but at the same time, it's a huge difference. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good Christian people out there that we have a hard time getting to the real point of forgiveness. And we walk around carrying a lot of bitterness because we've been showing mercy for years, but we haven't moved beyond mercy to showing the grace like God showed to us. And when we do that, I'm not, gonna say, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but when we do that, that's when things really begin to change and you really begin to step into that freedom of going through a difficult time, dealing with a difficult person, or going through something that's beyond difficult. It's just plain hard. You're wondering if you're going to make it through it. But you will if you can move to that position and experience the grace that God gives you and you show it to other people. And then God will step in with peace that passes all understanding. I don't really understand how it works, but it works. And it works for each and every one of us if we'll just trust God and do like David did in this psalm. So, Father, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for the difficult people you put in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would do the right thing like David did in every situation. God, I pray we wouldn't jump to conclusions and start letting our imaginations run wild and start labeling people the way I did the guy at his house, God. But Lord, that we would just be patient and we would show mercy and grace in every situation. Lord, knowing that as we do that, then our minds can be cleared to focus on you, to worship you, and to experience your peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I pray that for every person in here, God, because we're all going to encounter difficult people in difficult situations. And God, we need your help, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray right now for Tommy, God, for a touch in his body. Lord, I pray that this flu or this whatever this bug is to be gone, Lord, that you would just give him strength and recovery, God. Lord, we pray for uh, Nancy's hip. We pray for this uh, whatever's going on with inflammation or infection or or whatever it is, God, that you would just heal it, Lord. And, uh, Lord, there would be uh, no more need for surgeries over and over again, Lord, that she would just be pain-free and uh, able to move around, God. And, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, and ask for every person in here that has a need in their body, God. Lord, there's so much sickness going around, Lord. We just speak healing and peace, God. And we just thank you, Lord, that just like we sang uh, today, Lord, you still are a healer. You still are a savior. You still are a provider, God. And Lord, you're reaching out to your people like never before, God. Lord, I just pray that we would keep our focus on you, Lord, so that we would be in the right position to receive, God, and to give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our Connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.